We are here and talking about an issue that uh, recently became a bit of a controversy as there was a Blue House petition uh, by the parents of a uh, Taiwanese uh, visitor to South Korea who was victim to a drunk driving accident, really calling for justice to be done. And uh, it caused uh, a bit of a stir because of the fact that this was a, a foreigner who was really decrying what they perceived to be some of the inadequacies in, in how to prosecute these kind of cases. So um, maybe more so than a comparative look uh, at uh, what are the regulations here in Korea versus what are the regulations in Taiwan and what are the differing expectations between citizens of each country. We are going to try to take a legal analysis of what exactly is done to prosecute drunk driving laws here in Korea and how it might be perceived uh, by people from from outside of the country. And uh, to give us that legal analysis, very pleased to be joined. Uh, by uh, Hongik University's uh, college professor, uh, Professor Choi Young. Hello. Good morning. Good, Good morning, morning to you. So um, uh, I, I know that uh, you were requested to um, help us out with this, uh, with your, uh, of course, uh, deep knowledge of the law and obviously your crack researching <laughs> skills to help us out. But um, what, you do want to assess first right now, as it stands in Korea, what the current penalties are for for uh, DUIs, right? For sure. driving under the Perhaps influence. Perhaps we can uh, give a little bit more background. Yes, please. And before I start, I just wanted to wish uh all the students who are taking SUNO oh, today, yeah. uh, best of luck. Um, so this issue, as you said, has arisen because of the tragic death that's resulted uh, from a drunk uh, driving accident that killed a, a young woman from Taiwan. She'd, she'd actually been living in Korea for some years, and, and she was actually studying here, right? So she was a postgraduate student, and um, living, she'd been living here for maybe three or four years. And she was crossing a pedestrian crossing, you know, uh, with the green light. And this drunk driver just came out of nowhere and hit her. And she basically, you know, sort of died almost immediately uh, at the scene. And obviously her parents are devastated. Um, but there was some rumor that despite the fact the driver was intoxicated, uh, it was possible that he'd be only sort of, you know, given the very minimum under the law. Whereas uh, just a couple of years ago, if you recall last, um, sorry, 2018, December 2018, they actually passed a law that strengthened the existing uh, penalty system for uh, drink, drunk driving uh, because of a very similar accident that happened. Uh, so people usually call this uh, Yun Chang-ho law yeah. because it's named after the victim of that particular accident. And that case was also really unfortunate uh, because uh, it the victim was a young man who I think was attending law school at the time. You know, this uh, bright young man with, you know, a, a really bright future ahead of him. He was actually serving in the military, uh, doing his duty, and he, he was on leave uh, visiting Busan, and he happened to be in an area where uh, there was a, a, a high uh, incidence of uh, drink driving. Uh, in, and he did get hit, uh, and he was in a coma for a, a month or so, um, and then sort of died in the hospital, didn't revive. And people were totally outraged yeah. because it was, I think, a repeat offense by the, the driver. Um, and so they passed this law really quickly so that it could be applied to the driver, uh, actually, you know, when, when he was indicted at the time. Um, but so what this law did was to increase the penalty uh, from what was then the maximum of, I think, 10 years. So if you uh, 
if you are caught uh, drinking under influence or drinking while intoxicated and you actually kill somebody as a result, um, you are sort of liable for between three to ten years imprisonment, right? Uh, but this actually increased, so, so it became maximum of life, life sentence. Um, but since that law passed, I looked up some stats and the average uh, sentence that a driver who is found guilty of you know, causing the death of somebody because of uh, drink driving has been given about eight years uh, on average, but it's certainly more than what it used to be. The problem is uh, this Yun Chang-ho law doesn't necessarily apply in all drink driving accidents. Mm. So, um, you know, when you're trying to prove somebody's culpability, uh, you can't just say, well, he was drinking and he drove and so therefore his drinking caused accident and therefore this uh, special law that applies aggravated penalties must apply. You have to show that it was the drink driving that caused the accident that actually killed right. him, right? So even in that Yun chang case, the driver tried to argue that it wasn't his uh, drunkenness <laughs> that the intoxication that was the cause of, of the accident. It was because he was doing something or uh, uh, playing with his girlfriend who was sitting uh, in the in the passenger seat next to him. And that caused him to momentarily you know, be distracted. And, and therefore, that aggravated law applying to drink driving shouldn't apply, right? So the, the problem is there is actually a parallel track um, that applies to uh, drink driving offenses. So in those aggravated cases, the Yun chang law would apply mm-hmm. and you'd be liable for these uh, longer sentences. But in other cases, uh, this special law, which actually applies a more lenient system uh, for uh, driving offences, would would apply. Now, the history of this other law, the more lenient law, I will call it the special law, this was actually passed back in 1982. Mm-hmm. So, did. That was the decade when we actually got into, you know, Korea started um, to produce motor vehicles, right? So the Mm. government obviously tried to encourage uh, people to purchase cars. uh, And um, when you have like these novice drivers on the road, what they do, they cause accident. (laughs) And so they are, you know, reluctant to buy uh, cars and drive because uh, the enormous cost that they might face is a result of accidents. And so what they do is to pass a law which basically uh, absolves drivers uh, from serious penalties unless uh, certain circumstances apply. So uh, drink driving is one of those circumstances. But uh, under this leniency law, the special law, they would always be up for much lighter sentence. Mm -hmm. And so even now, um, if your blood alcohol uh, level is over 0.10%, then, I mean, that's basically, you know, you can have your uh, driver's license taken away from you, right? Even if you don't cause any accident, if you're caught... uh, uh, drinking under under that sort of intoxication, uh, then the the Yun Chang-ho law would apply, and the the more um, uh, serious penalties uh, could uh, be applied to you. But if your blood alcohol level is lower than zero point one zero percent, then they would actually apply the special law. And mm. so that's what I found out. <laughs> um, so this means that although we have these more uh, strict laws, they're not really applied in practice consistently. 
So then that is the problem with the uh, Taiwanese case is that mm. uh, uh, there is this fear that uh, this person essentially could be, just to put it bluntly, could get off scot-free or at least with a slap on the wrist uh, despite the tragedy that ensued uh, with hitting this Taiwanese girl on the right. street. And so, I, I think under the circumstances, um, it's unlikely that you know, that driver would get off scot-free or he'd be given a lighter sentence because uh, from what I've read, this is his repeat offense. Um, this is actually second time he's been caught uh, uh, drinking under influence. And so I think he would be liable for uh, a longer sentence. But, um, it, you know, it's no wonder that people get confused because uh, there have been cases where although people uh, were caught drink, uh, you know, driving under influence and they caused accident and caused seriously, serious bodily harm or even death sometimes, uh, after the Yun Chang-ho law uh, has been put into effect, uh, they still have been given lighter sentences. Mm-hmm. And so th- I think this is why uh, this sort of petition has been ongoing and, and so forth. So I can understand why um, there could be these uh, anachronistic laws still on the books, uh, mm. I guess not to date both of ourselves too much, but we both remember when the Hyundai ponies were a thing on the streets. <laughs> <Do you>? or- <laughs> Yeah, and and so um, maybe there was a a resistance or a fear, any new technology, right, that that comes in, that there's going to be sort of a resistance uh, to to adopting that technology. And maybe they felt uh, the the industrialized economy, uh, as it was moving forward, that you wanted to encourage more uh, cars uh, and people to purchase the cars. So so you have that to Mm -hmm. kind of grease the wheels a bit. Mm -hmm. Many people would say, well, right now, as it stands, if anything, we've got an excess problem and we don't need need to have that law to encourage people. Exactly. So why don't they get rid of this special law. Um, Obviously, there are entrenched interests uh, that benefit from... Could be like automobile lobbies and and whatnot? (laughs) Possibly. Uh, They they do benefit from these existing existing laws. And it's very difficult to get rid of uh, something, a benefit or a right that is actually already there Mm. rather than to introduce something new, right? That's always what they say, right? It's it's very difficult to get an entitlement passed. But once it's passed, you can never get it out, right? That's right. And, And, you know, it's not just... In the, uh, the sort of motor vehicle accidents, uh, that, that area where the manufacturers, the, the, the production industries have enjoyed the benefit and the consumer have really borne the brunt of it. Um, all throughout our sort of economic development period, uh, the policies had always been focused on encouraging industrial development and uh, consumer protection was really an afterthought. And it's really unfortunate that even now, you know, in 2020, that sort of mentality uh, and policies, the underlying policies still exist everywhere in our society. Do you feel the um, media coverage, uh, the Blue House petition and uh, the greater awareness uh, paid to the plight of this uh, Taiwanese family and and wanting some justice for for their uh, daughter, that uh, this would possibly lead to some kind of legal... I mean, what, what legal recourse would they have in terms of... I, I use, as you say, the, the perpetrator in this case li- likely will not get away with any slap on the wrist at uh, second offense. There's going to be some severe penalties for them. But will this bring about the discussion to get some momentum going to have some legislation to, to try to close up these loopholes? 
I don't really see that kind yeah. of debate happening right now. I mean, you know, all the oxygen seems right. to be taken up by... Yeah, we should the... be talking about Yoon Suk-yeol and the Justice <laughs> Ministry right now because it seems like all the political energy and capital is being poured into that, right? Right. Uh, and, and whereas this kind of thing, I mean, this is what really sort of concerns people's everyday lives and safety. Uh, you know, I personally know of um, at least three families whose lives have been shattered by this kind of accident, mm, right? Mm. Uh, and there are certainly uh, other measures uh, that we can take to reduce the rate of uh, drink driving on our roads, but we don't. Um, and this Yun Chang-ho law was passed so rapidly because of like this outpouring of grief and rage on the part of the, the population. But... Uh, it's still not really sort of applied consistently in in, in reality. And uh, also, whenever there is, a, is a, a road accident, it's always the victims who suffer more. And the perpetrators usually, they don't necessarily get off scot-free, but they certainly don't necessarily pay uh, the, the, the price. A proportionate penalty for yeah. what they did. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, you know, on average, um, a victim of a road, road accident, the, a drink-driving accident, um, uh, they incur about $25 million one in cost, uh, including you know uh, hospitalization costs and and repair of their car if they are driving also, um, and they get back maybe you know roughly eighteen million. So you are still left you know about uh, seven million, million short, short yeah. uh, that has to come out of your own pocket. Whereas the driver, um, they usually covered by. Insurance. Their premium would certainly go up after the accident, but for that particular accident, uh, usually there is a cap as to what your personal contribution mm. is, which is about three to four million won. And so once they pay that, the rest of it is basically covered by the insurance, right. whether it's you know 150 million won or you know 10 million. And won. you don't always result in a revocation of that person's license, which means that recidivism is also a risk. Recidivism right? is a huge problem, um, and it's really it comes back to the fact that we've been so lenient with uh, drinking in our society and in our culture. Um, and so drivers tend to think that, oh, as long as I don't get caught, it's okay. I can drink and drive. And it's not as if they don't have any other option of getting home. You've got, you know... I was going <laughs> to ask you this because and... I, I, you've spent a lot of time overseas as well. And so let's say in Australia and where I used to live in, in the U.S., the perception, this is anecdotal, but it seems like it's a lot more lenient there. So in, in America, the wide open spaces, these freeways with, you know, you know, not a lot of, uh, you, you got highway patrol, but they're not kind of covering everything mm-hmm. with checkpoints all over the place. Mm-hmm. And you had a 0.08% um, uh, alcohol limit, at least in California, right. which mm-hmm. that would be the threshold to mm-hmm. actually be convicted of a, a DUI offense. Right. Mm-hmm. The uh, it seems like it's it's a lot more lenient there. Yet here in Korea, you 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 have these inevitable checkpoints on the major bridges and various big hotspots at night uh, after a certain period of time. You have a very big and thriving teriunjin uh, like um the the, the substitute driver right. kind of mm-hmm. industry that you can mm-hmm. call and within minutes you can have somebody drive your car for you. Uh, and at the same time, um, there is this greater campaign and the passage of these legislations like you why is this still a problem? I, I know I, maybe it's getting too much into the sociological aspect of things, but it does seem like Korea still struggles with this. And is it because we're the we're still a young country that still is learning um, to come to grips with just only a couple generations of into becoming a driving culture? 
all of those are plus the fact that we still have this attitude that um, drinking is okay and drinking kind of forgives forgives most things, including drink driving. Mm. Uh, but other like assault attitude. cases or these other oh, uh, kind of heinous cases, crimes? Or... Yeah, or, or even uh, sexual offenses. Uh, and so unless we change that attitude and change the culture, I don't think uh, even things like Yun Chang-ho law is going to have that much of an effect. Um, th- the thing is, I mean, you talked about overseas. So uh, Australia, UK, uh, even in Germany, Uh, laws are much more strict. So, for example, Australia has uh, the, the limit is blood blood alcohol lim- level limit is 0.05%, uh, mm. uh, not even 0.08. Mm. And all those countries used to also have really serious drink driving problems, actually not so much in Germany, um, but they did a huge campaign uh, and uh, education drive and also Uh, really strictly enforce the laws. And now uh, drink driving is really sort of thought of as a a, a real no-no. And that's what we need. We need to have a change of culture and people's mm. attitude to say, you know, that you, you'd become a social pariah if you're yeah. caught drink driving. That, that's what's re- really required. Um, so, you know, it's not an easy problem to solve. And For example, in Taiwan, they also had similar issues. And so over the last 10 years or so, they've been gradually ratcheting up their uh, drink driving laws. And just um, last year, early last year, there was a, a serious sort of you know, accident caused, caused by a drink, uh, drunken driver. And they introduced a bill in the Taiwanese National Assembly uh, calling for death penalty in the wow. event a person is killed as a result. That's of about as zero tolerance as you can get. Much, yeah. yes. Um, I, I don't think the bill, bill actually managed to pass, at least not yet, because when I checked the, the Taiwanese um, uh, criminal code, the, the penalty was still uh, what it used to be in the, in the previous um, period. Uh, but, you know, perhaps we, we should actually, you know, just for sort of um, uh, campaign purposes or, you know, educational purposes, we, we actually need to have... give some sort of shock measure and something like that might actually get grab people's attention. It's a very good point. And I think I brought up a bad example with a, a comparative look at the, at the U.S. because I mean, that, that's a country <laughs> no, that, US, US I mean, half the population really, refuses yeah. to wear masks because they yeah, feel that I mean, it violates their civil liberties exactly. uh, to do so <laughs> during a street, pandemic. Right? But yeah. similarly here, I mean, we can say we're more of a collectivist uh, society and mm. we tend to follow regulations, but it doesn't, it seems like driving is one of the key blind spots that we as a people have. Do you remember the uh, the, the, mm, the, the yes. law to protect that, that kid and the uproar that caused yeah. a lot? Even progressive kind of people online saying, oh my gosh, I can't drive. What, 50, if I go over 15 kilometers an hour, then all of a sudden if some kid pops in front of me and then I'm going to go to jail, what the heck is this? And then Exactly the kind of thing I'm, I was talking about. So, you know, we take such a cavalier attitude towards uh, breaking traffic regulation. So just last night driving home, I saw a car in front of me just driving through a red light. Yeah. You know, that should be, I mean, in other countries, um, you would lose your license for doing that. Right. So for me, it's a bit like a broken window uh, syndrome. Uh. So because we don't uh, necessarily prosecute and uh, enforce laws against these kind of what people perceive to be minor offenses, which is actually really serious yeah. because road traffic regulations are, are essentially like fundamental social pact that we make with each mm-hmm, other mm-hmm. to keep us safe, right? But people think, well, it's at night, there's nobody else around, I can just drive through the red light. 
what if somebody just actually, you know, came rushing over? And the way we sort of, you know, split uh, liability between uh, the victim and the the, the yeah, driver. The yeah, the seven to three, six to four ratio on the type road, of. Yeah, I think that's absolutely crazy. Yeah, right. Yeah. So we really need to fundamentally sort of overhaul our uh, drink driving uh, regulations and look at our attitude towards driving. I think it really sort of comes back down to uh, the the way we've been really lax about how we you know sort of drive on the road because. The, the policy was to encourage driving, to, to, to encourage purchase of cars. But I really think we need to ha- have a real change in that aspect. Yeah, and I think most reasonable-minded people will, will agree with uh, what you're saying. It, it, I, I still find it fascinating that uh, we are so um, well adhering to regulations like in terms of pandemic control and generally have been praised throughout the world for, mm. for being uh, one of the model countries to that end. But we're so libertarian with this mm. idea of driving. Mm. And as you say, I mean... You mentioned running red lights. Illegal U-turns are just really done. Oh, yeah. you know, it doesn't really matter. Broad daylight. Mm-hmm. And my pet peeve with, with people who decide to park anywhere they want, even designated spots that belong to you or on the sidewalk blocking roads, it's just one of even those things. Even this morning, that, I was yeah. trying to drive out of the car park <laughs> and there was a car parked, not where it's supposed to be, block, blocking the entry. I mean, it's just really, yeah. not just annoying, but you know, uh, it really sort of breaches the fundamental you know, yeah. promise that you make with each other. I mean, it, it has become somewhat of a rant session with the way uh, people drive here, but really highlighted by the very serious case of this Taiwanese yes, girl exactly. and, and yeah. the parents and wanting to see justice done. And hopefully the result of this is great awareness. And as you say, ultimately, uh, a cultural change and a kind of a shift in the way people think about uh, how to conduct themselves on the road. All right. Um, we got through this. Uh, Professor Cho has always appreciated, uh, really uh, gave us uh, some good legal analysis. And I know that uh, you were having to uh, research a lot of this stuff on your own as well. And so uh, certainly thank you very much. And we hope you have a good weekend. Thank you. And we'll be back after another check of traffic and weather.